0: Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thank you so much for joining us, um, sharing this time together. We're going to have a conversation about life and death. And we're going to have a conversation about how precious life is and um, what happens when one person takes the life of another. We're going to talk about justice. We're going to talk about the death penalty. Um, So let me start with a headline out of Florida. Um, You will remember the shooting on Valentine's day, five years ago now at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school. You will remember, um, it's a suburban Fort Lauderdale. You will remember um, that there were 17 people killed. You might recall it as the Parkland shooting, the person responsible, uh, his name is Nicholas Cruz. And he was certainly found guilty. um, And Then came the sentencing um, portion of the trial, and Florida is a death penalty state. And so I think there were many, many people who expected the death penalty to be imposed in this particular case. Um, But jurors in Florida voted nine to three on October the 13th um, that Nicholas Cruz should experience life in prison without the possibility of parole um, and that he should not be executed for Um, killing 17 people in the Parkland shooting. So what has uh, been transpiring now for the last uh, couple of weeks and um, culminated yesterday with the um, opportunity for family members of the 17 who died and also people who were wounded in the shooting to stand some 20 feet from the accused and speak directly to him um And let me say this for a person condemned not to die i um I suspect that what he endured as the seething anger and grief poured forth from parents and family members um, of those killed and from those who whom he wounded as well um I am sure there was a weightiness to that experience. It's hard to know what's going on in the heart and the mind of another person. Um, but it is hard to imagine that having um, heard these things said of himself um, from people very close by, I mean, there's only 20 feet separating them. Um, but I want to raise some concerns as a Christian today about the language used and the way that this human being was referred to uh, in in public and and what has been then repeated through the media over and over and over again. And he's being described as a, as a monster. The word monster is used over and over again. Um, Some of the things that uh, were said about him and to him um, reflect the root of bitterness that has um, been sown into the hearts of these who have been wounded by the loss of, of their loved ones, or by the experience of being wounded themselves, they talk about escaping punishment. Um, they talk about uh, him deserving no mercy. They describe him as a monster, um, and they say what they hope he experiences in um, in the time ahead in prison. Um, and I want to say this from a Christian worldview. I mean, a life is precious and. Justice matters, and there's no question about either one of those, nor my commitment to both. But this individual is not a monster. He's a man. He's a sinner, certainly. But he is also a person for whom Christ died. And so I want you to consider for a moment what happens if this convicted murderer, who is going to spend the rest of his natural life in prison— comes to faith in Christ through a prison ministry, through the presence of a Christian in that environment. Who ministers to men like this? Joining me next is Pastor Dana Moore from Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, he's going to talk with us about his relationship with a man named John Ramirez, who has recently been executed by the state of Texas for a murder he committed in 2004. Dana was present in the death chamber when John took his last breath. We're going to hear that story next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're welcoming uh, Pastor Dana Moore to the show today. Um, Good morning, Pastor. Good morning. This is one of those conversations where I just like, I hardly know where to begin. Um, Maybe begin by telling us um, about the family of Pablo Castro, because I feel like their um, part of this story matters a great deal. And before we get into a conversation about what you experienced in um, you know, in the presence of a person taking their last breath here on Earth, um, I, I would like for you to um, share with us a little bit about the family of Pablo Castro.
2: Um, well, first, thank you for saying his name, uh, because many times people will refer to uh, Pablo as, you know, the victim. And, you know, there's a name involved, there's a family involved. Uh, going through grief and with every time John came to John received a, a death date, uh, they would get requests for interviews. All of this was brought back up before them. And so many, I know that they had to live through again, so much of the pain going over it again and again. And so, uh, I prayed for them, uh, over and over. Uh, John was very remorseful about what he did. And um, I know he prayed for them and he regretted every day what he did. Uh, so I, personally, I do not know the, uh, anybody from the Castro family. They have not reached out to me. I've not reached out to them. Uh, I, I, I thought that would be upon them to reach out to me. I, I did not want to be one of the instruments to dredge up any pain. And mm-hmm. so uh, that's why I've kind of kept my, my distance in that regard.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I want to, um, as a part of this conversation today, um, I want to read those of you who are listening, um, just a statement from um, Aaron Castro. He's the son of Pablo Castro, um, and he talks about the reality of um, eternal judgment, and he talks about it not being our place um, to um, to speak that over one another. So, Aaron Castro is the son of Pablo Castro. Pablo is the victim in, uh, or the first victim, maybe is a way to say that in this case. Um, Pablo's life was taken in 2004 um, by the other person um, who we're going to discuss in just a moment, and, and his name is John. But here's a, st- a par- portion of the statement from Aaron Castro, the son of Pablo Castro. Um, he said, Peace and love and justice for Pablo G. Castro. May his name not be forgotten, and may God have mercy on J-H-R, for it is not up to us. He is receiving his true judgment with our Lord and Savior, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. A life taken away is not to be celebrated, but closure can definitely take place. Pastor Dana uh, Moore is here today. He's the lead pastor at Second Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas. And he was alongside John Ramirez in the death chamber um that fulfilled a request that um, John Ramirez had made during his um, there during lead up to his scheduled execution in Texas. So um Dana, tell us like how how do you end up in this story how um How do you come into relationship with John Ramirez?
2: Uh, it, it It came about when uh, a couple of our members, a couple of our senior adult ladies had been already traveling uh, the 300 miles up to Livingston, Texas to visit John. They did it once a month and they came to me and they said that physically they were just, you know, weren't able to do that anymore. And they, they didn't ask me to do anything, but it was at that moment when it almost, uh, I, I sensed God saying, Dana, this is, this is now an invitation to you to take up that slack to begin to visit John. Uh, John had already joined our church by proxy, uh, through these ladies. Uh, Bringing a letter forward to join the church. He already knew Christ as his savior. And so uh, I just I went through the process of, well, what do I need to do about, uh, you know, fulfilling my calling for John for being his pastor in the state of Texas calls that a, a spiritual advisor and I became his spiritual advisor and began visiting him.
0: And so, um, you know, uh, this is a person of faith. I think that sometimes we forget that. And uh, you and I have to take a very, very brief pause. When we come back, I want to talk about, I want to talk about the tension there, um, and I want to, I want to talk about how complicated um, these issues are for people in the church um, who are, you know, dealing with their own sense of a need for justice this side of. Of heaven, Um, and we want to talk about then this experience of actually being the first pastor that I'm aware of to be present in um, in the death chamber when a person is executed um, by the state. So we're talking with Pastor Dana Moore. He's the pastor of the Second Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, and we'll return in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. We're talking with Pastor Dana Moore from the Second Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, um, the pastor of John Ramirez, who um, spent the last years of his life in a prison in Livingston, Texas, and his life was brought to an end by the state of Texas when um, when the decision to execute him was carried out. Talk with us, Dana, about um, John's desire to have you present at his execution, the process of making that possible, and then Maybe a little bit about the very unique experience of being there.
2: Well, John, uh, on death row in Texas, uh, inmates have practically no human contact at all with touch. Uh, About the only time they have human touch is when handcuffs go on or handcuffs come off. And so uh, every time I visited John, it's been through plexiglass, uh, or something's been in the a barrier between us. And, uh, I witnessed an execution before, uh, from a witness room. And, uh, I knew that where the chaplain stood before for the state of Texas, that's where I would be. And it, it was just a step away for me to be able to, you know, put my hand out and, and touch John in some way and, and pray over him much the same way when I make a hospital visit, uh, I, you know, I, I I hold somebody's hand. If I can't hold their hand, I'll I'll put my hand on their shoulder or on their forehead, wherever is appropriate, and and pray for them. And that's you know, so many of us in our local gatherings of churches, communities of faith, often we hold hands when we pray. We touch, and so that's a, such an important part of how we uh, how we carry out our religious practices. And why can't why couldn't John have this, and that's what he was asking. Why can't I have this at the moment of my execution?
0: and the answer that some people might give to that is because you know what he doesn't deserve it right? I mean there is this part of um us, and I articulated it at the open of the hour when I'm just listening to these seething people um who are so angry at um you know at, at a different person who committed um you know, a, a crime that took the lives of others in the state of Florida, not Texas. And um, I just recognize, Dana, that we live in a culture that does not recognize um, the kind of tender mercy that you're describing that is due to everyone, regardless of their sin. Talk about that um, just in terms of your pastor's heart.
2: Uh, yeah, the, the the word deserve kind of stood out to me when you asked the question. i, I... I don't recommend anybody going to God asking about what's deserved because I do not want what is deserved from God for my life. I want grace. And I think that's what any of us want. Uh, And, and you know, there's a sense that all sin is the same that we are separated and our, our, our relationship with God is, is damaged. However you want to phrase that, but there is a sense that there are differences. You know, Jesus said that hatred was the same as murder. Well, but the difference is I know people have hated me before, but nobody's murdered me before. So I understand there's a difference there. Um, at, at the same time, though, all sin is, you know, so repugnant and, and uh, you know, makes us much the same way as John, though. Uh, so for me, I think when we talk about what's deserved, we need to be gracious as well. Um, I also... BELIEVE THAT WE SHOULD NOT IN JUSTICE HAVE, YOU KNOW, EMOTION INVOLVED IN IT. Uh, YOU KNOW, WHEN WE HAVE EMOTION INVOLVED IN OUR DECISION MAKING, IT CAN MAKE OUR DECISIONS, IT CAN LEAD TO POOR DECISIONS IS WHAT IT CAN DO. AND SO I THINK WE HAVE TO BE CAREFUL ABOUT THAT. Uh, YOU KNOW, the YOU MENTIONED EARLIER the the, sh- THE HIGH SCHOOL SHOOTING AT PARKLAND IN FLORIDA. Sure, I, you know the the emotion of the families. I cannot even begin to imagine the pain that they have gone through, and you know, lose if it would have been one of my uh, uh, children, um, that would have been just horrendous horrendous amount of grief. But I would want somebody to step in to keep me from doing something that's gone too far.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and that's I think that's where you know, as a as a culture and as a society, um, we have to press in when, um, when terrible things happen. And, um, I, I, think of the way that the families, um, in Charleston at the mother Emanuel church, um, you know, after that horrific shooting, how, how they responded so differently than the families in Parkland have responded, at least in terms of their public witness and testimony and what we're seeing transpire. Um, and it, it, there's just such different stories and narratives to be told. Um, We've got a couple of minutes left. I'd love for you to speak to um, pastors who are listening, others involved in prison ministry. Um, what What counsel and encouragement might you offer today?
2: I would say that your presence matters and so so often uh, and it's not just for pastors but anybody doing any ministry. Uh, your presence matters. Uh, it, it's not the words. It's being there. Uh, So often people will say, I don't know what to say. That's fine. Then don't say anything. Just be there. Uh, From the times I've received ministry and difficult times in my life and my my wife and the difficult times that we've had, um, I don't remember words that were shared with me, but I certainly remember people who came and showed up and prayed with me. And so um, continue to do whatever ministry you're doing. If you're not involved or you think that perhaps God's put a calling on you to do further ministry then jump in wherever that is it, whether it's prison ministry but there are so many other ministries uh you know get involved uh you know that's how we that's how we serve the king
0: amen um, and maybe a word um, to those who are listening right now who are incarcerated. I know that we have at least one listener who is spending his life in prison um, in Stillwater, Minnesota. And so maybe just a word to, um, to the lifers out there who are listening.
2: Sure. Uh, keep the faith. You're not alone. You may, you may be alone where you're at geographically, but there are other inmates. There are, there are men on death row in Texas who are worshiping every day, uh, singing. And, uh, it's like a revival that's been going on there. I would say now for probably good 18, 24 months, uh, that, that God has, God is working and God has not forgotten you. So you keep the faith.
0: Mm, Amen. Dana, what a, um, what a privilege to get to talk with you. Thank you so much um, for your ministry, your witness, your testimony, your public um, leadership um, on this topic, and, and frankly, for your gentle spirit. I, I genuinely appreciate the conversation today.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. That's Pastor Dana Moore. He's at the Second Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. We believe in God the Father we believe in Jesus Christ we believe Hey, thanks for um, all your input this morning on the text line um, for those of you texting in about stories that you've um, heard and been exposed to and experienced yourself in relationship to forgiveness after capital murder. Um, a note here from Jacqueline about. The story of forgiveness extended to the shooter in the Amish schoolhouse shootings um, a number of years ago, uh, yes, and the testimonies um, from the families in the uh, of the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina that I talked about. Um, I remember a conversation that I had uh, on air with um, Van Jones um, of CNN after he did uh, a a series of interviews. I, I seem to remember it was like called the, like the Redemption Project. And um, he went in and he talked with families um, whose family members had been um, victims of murder and the process of reconciliation that took place between those family members and the people responsible for the death of their loved one. Um, And not that Van Jones was bearing um, public witness to Jesus Um, But I do remember in the conversation thinking to myself, the only way you get to this place of forgiveness is because you know what it is to be forgiven. You cannot have this conversation outside of the acknowledgement and recognition of the reality of grace and mercy. Um, These are theological categories, and they are grounded um, substantively in a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. And so if you're looking for an opportunity today to um, bridge the gap between what's happening in the culture, um, even on, on, on the side of horrific violence and a rise of violence, um, just recognize that if you have Jesus, then you have the only talking point that is necessary. Because apart from Christ, there is no forgiveness. Apart from him, um, there is no grace. And so when we talk about um, substantially healed relationships, we're ultimately talking about Jesus. Patrick Schreiner is going to join us next. Um, you know, there's a lot of politics, right? I mean, I, I just feel like everything has become politics uh, in the culture today. Every headline, every, everything, it's just every conversation, right? It's all politics. Um, Patrick's uh, going to help us see um, how as Christians— It's possible we're not political enough. Yeah, um, but that could be um, also misunderstood. So what does it look like for politics to be in its right place? And what does it mean for the gospel to be political? Political gospel is the book. Patrick Schreiner joins us next. Joining us now, Patrick Schreiner, you can uh, find him, um, well, you can find him in in lots of places. You can find him at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, you can find him on Twitter, you can find him at the Gospel Coalition, or you can find him as the author of a brand new book, Political Gospel. Patrick, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thanks, Carmen. Great to be with you.
0: All right, so um, here's a quote from your book. I don't think the average Christian is nearly political enough. Okay, you sound like a crazy person.
1: (laughs) I know. I feel like we're maybe all tired of the politics conversation, but what I'm trying to do in this book is help Christians realize their faith is political. And so we really need to demote our um, political engagement in some sense with the lesser of politics, which is what we think of partisanship, and we need to promote our political engagement in terms of what it means to be part of Christ's body. And so I'm afraid that sometimes this conversation, when we start talking about politics, all we think about is human politics. But as Christians, we have a more foundational politic, which is Christ is King. And we actually have a gathered community, which is the church, which is also a political assembly. And so we, as Christians, are governed by Christ, and so if that is our main politic, in one sense, we need to promote our politic, in another sense, we need to demote our partisanship and I think if we just kind of start from that base, we have a better way of engaging with politics more generally.
0: all right you talk with, um, you know you talk about the reality that Christianity is political, um, but that doesn't mean that we as christians um elevate partisanship, you know, to the place of, you know, of like, this is theologically who we are. So talk with us a little bit about, you know, the, the difference here in and um, maybe the cultural understanding of what it means for Christianity to be political and what you mean when you say that Christianity is political and Christians should be more engaged in politics.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of using political in in two different ways, and you can hear me kind of switching back and forth. In one sense, what I'm pushing against is that in our culture, it's so easy, and we're really encouraged to separate our faith from our public life. Mm -hmm. And so we think our faith is a private thing, um, and really politics is a public thing. So we have kind of our private sphere, what do you believe in your heart? And then you have the public sphere. What do you do in terms of voting, in terms of uh, engaging with the larger culture? But, you know, in Jesus's day, in Paul's day, in the New Testament, politics and religion were not two separate spheres. They were actually combined. And what I'm not arguing is that we need to combine the church and state here. But I am saying we need to recover the true sense of political. And political simply means the activities associated with the organization and governance of a people. And so when I'm saying we need to recover the political nature of our faith, I'm reminding Christians that we're united first around Jesus, who is not just the king of our hearts or the king of our lives, but really the king of kings. And so our true allegiance and loyalty goes first to him. And that and that this sounds like maybe we just ignore all their political organizations or we don't engage in politics here in ter- in terms of um the city of man versus the city of God. But that's actually not what I'm saying. I think if we have a good understanding of what it means to be political as a Christian, that actually causes us to engage more, in one sense, in the politics of this world. Now, again, there's so many misunderstandings that could be had because it's it's a tough conversation. But when I mean engage more, I don't mean that we put our hope in the politics of this world, but rather that as Christians, we care about our fellow human being and that we we think our vote matters. We think how society runs matters. We think that, you know, God has ordered things in a certain way, and we should, in one sense, promote the way that God has ordered things. And that's, that's different than pushing our faith on people. I think that's, uh, we want to share our faith with people. We, we don't want to um, say you have to believe what we believe. But at the same time, We want to engage in a way that is good for everyone, for all of humanity. So it's kind of recognizing the dual reality of our faith is a political thing. And then also that causes us to engage in politics more generally in the lesser sense.
0: So this is a conversation um, about the way we walk our faith out into the world that God so loves. So you and I as Christians, we recognize every single moment we are taking a step of faith and we're doing so um, in a world that is um, increasingly hostile to the gospel, but nonetheless, the place where God has sent us as His ambassadors to represent him as the king, and to be deployed um to make a living demonstration of what the kingdom looks like and what kingdom people sound like and um and what the what the ways of the kingdom are. So as we do that, The way in which we do that is really the conversation that we're having here today. So are we walking our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus, that Jesus would actually recognize as himself? So in the book, one of the things you're going to encounter Patrick doing is talking about the way of the kingdom, the way of the dove, the way of subversion, the way of submission, the way of the lion, the way of the lamb, the ways of... Of God, which align with the character of God, and um, and the way of the kingdom is not the ways of the world. So, Patrick, give us a little bit um, of this as well as we talk about the political gospel.
1: Yeah, in Acts, so they describe Christianity as the way, and I love just that um, that phrase that Christianity is described as the way. This is the way we live, and what you encounter when you come to the Scriptures is that if our true politic is actually Christianity and Jesus Christ is our king, what does that mean in terms of how we're to act in the world? That was the question you just asked. And what I found in the scriptures is it seems like there's two separate ways of acting that actually end up coming together. And that that's why I use the way of the kingdom and the way of the dove. Jesus announced the kingdom of God was here. And you know, the kings of the earth were not very happy to hear that. And so in one sense, Christianity is a challenge. It is a challenge. It's a it's a subversion to the, the larger culture. But at the same time, we have to recognize that Jesus submitted himself, Paul submitted himself to Rome, and they actually both commanded that we submit ourselves to Rome. So how can they bring in a new kingdom, announce a new kingdom, announce a new society and a new reality? And also submit to the reality that exists now. Well, this is um, Hmm. the best way to understand this is to understand that we live in the already not yet. And so the old way is passing away. The city of man is still here, but the kingdom of God is breaking in. And that means that we are both to subvert the kingdom uh, of man And to submit to the kingdom of man because the kingdom of God hasn't come in fullness yet. And so really what I was trying to do in this book is recognize and point out not to go to the issues of immigration or even abortion or those types of things. I wanted to set a foundation of how do we engage with the larger political system as Christians? And it seems like the two commands are that submit and subvert because we live between the ages. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet here in full. So, we promote that. But in the midst of promoting that, we actually submit to the human governing authority. So, the cross of Christ is the best example. Jesus Christ went before Rome, and he submitted himself to Rome. But by so doing, by dying on the cross, he actually put in motion the end of every earthly kingdom. And so it was the most subversive act and it was the most submissive act all rolled up into one. And I that that's the tension that's so difficult to live in our lives. We are ultimately those who promote the kingdom of God. We don't promote a party platform. We promote the kingdom of God. And that's our main aim. And that means sometimes we are going to subvert the human system and sometimes we will submit to them.
0: We're going to continue our conversation with Patrick Schreiner in just a moment. The book is Political Gospel, and I want you to think for a moment about, you know, Jesus's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, certainly submitting himself to the will of the Father, um, and then ultimately submitting himself to the Romans and the Jewish authorities of his day, submitting himself unto death, and in so doing, conquering them all, right? And so— The gospel is political. We're talking about the political gospel. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. If you're saying to yourself as you're listening to Patrick uh, Schreiner talk about the political gospel, if you're thinking to yourself, hmm, sounds very much like what Kuyper said about every square inch or Jesus being... Um, the King over every aspect of life. There's not one square inch of uh, of this life, including the body politic, that is not ultimately uh, of His concern or under His um, sovereignty. Maybe you say to yourself, um, "Hey, this sounds an awful lot like the idea that Christianity is a totalizing system. There's no part of my life or our life together that's, uh, you know, not a part of um, what it means to be a Christian." operating in the world today, yep, then you are uh, aligning your thoughts uh, with the conversation. So we are talking with Patrick Schreiner. We're talking about his new book, Political Gospel. Um, Talk with us, Patrick, about, you know, what I'll use, uh, you know, this idea that Christianity is a totalizing system. I think that there is a tendency for people to compartmentalize and imagine that, you know, they're... um, their Christianity belongs over here and is somehow separate from or does not need to be the um, the driving influence in, um, in their political life. But you would argue otherwise.
1: That's right. Yeah. And one of the reasons I really wanted to engage with this topic is because I was concerned about, especially the American church, uh, I believe in the people of God, but I also saw a lot of division coming out over politics in the last six years. And so, you know, that existed before that. But especially the last six years, I've seen Christians dividing over this issue in terms of human politics. I've seen um, churches split. I've seen pastors leave churches. I've seen organizations split. I've seen friendships deteriorate. And I kept thinking, man, you know, we really maybe haven't done enough in terms of what I call political discipleship. And so this book is really aimed at that. And as you said, you know, Christianity is a totalizing reality. And what that means is every single part of our life needs to be brought into conformity to Christ. And so, you know, I, I like to say, even when I preach, you know, Jesus goes into every room of your heart and he, he's going to clean it up. And that includes our political lives in terms of the city of man. And so we, we really need to bring our political beliefs or our political um, views into conformity with Christ. And when I, you know, in the book, I say we need to put politics in its place. And I already talked about, we need to demote our partisanship because really we're more united to other Christians who might vote differently than us, who might belong to a different um, party. (laughs) We're more united to them than we are to anyone else, because as I said, Christianity itself is a political reality. And so, yeah, really the main aim of this book is really a discipleship uh, reality because I think we need to return to the scriptures and recognize Jesus and Paul and the rest of the New Testament and Old Testament had a lot more to say about how we interact with the political realm than we realize. I think often we say, well, the Bible is really helpful for me in my personal walk with Jesus. And that's so true. But it's also helpful. Jesus was asked political questions. Jesus was crucified as the king of the Jews. Paul went around to different cities, and he was accused of defying the decrees of Caesar. He stood on trial before Caesar. And so there was a lot of political realities happening in the time of Jesus and Paul. And I think we just need to open our eyes to those realities. So again, my point is not in this book to, here's how you should vote here. Here's how you should think about this issue. My point is really to go back to the scriptures and to the reality of Jesus and Paul and the New Testament and say, what do we learn from how they engage with the political realm? Oh, Maybe one more comment I'll just make is so often we only go to the passages, the commands, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. Uh, Titus also has a command in terms of submitting to the government authorities. And I think those are hugely important but we forget that there's narratives about the lives of these individuals as well that we need to learn from in terms of how to engage with the political realm.
0: Um, looking at the life of Jesus, certainly um, looking at the example of Paul, that is really excellent. I'm thinking about Peter standing in the Garden of Gethsemane with his hand on the hilt of his sword, yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking about the tension we experience as Christians in the culture today. Um, we're really, really resisting the temptation to pull out the sword and strike the ear.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah.
0: Strike the side of the head. Um, and that's not the way of Jesus. Put your sword that's back right. in its place, Peter. That, that submission, subversion thing that you're talking about here in, um, in this book, Political Gospel, is so helpful for getting myself In the right posture before I get out there into the conversations of the day that are expressly partisan, Um, and how do I operate in the midst of those conversations recognizing who I am as an ambassador of a king and a kingdom that is literally not of this world?
1: That's right. And, you know, that's a great passage to go to because, you know, Peter, he thinks, well, Jesus announced the kingdom, so I'm going to fight for him. And Jesus is like, this is not the way, Peter. This is not the way it's going to come. Guess how it's going to come? it's going to come by me dying on the cross, actually submitting to these human kingdoms. And if you go to Revelation, you know, I have a whole section on Revelation. You find that we are called, Christians are called to conquer. It's the same word from uh, actually where we get the word Nike, <laughs> victory, right? We're called to have victory. and But the way we do so in Revelation is actually by dying like our Savior. And so what's so difficult for us is that we either tend to pick up that language of, you know, the gospel of the kingdom. You know, we, we believe it, 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 it forms all of our, our life and that we are to go out and conquer. Or we pick up that language of submission and that we are to be martyrs for Christ. And the reality is that we have victory through suffering and through laying down our lives. And I think, you know, we haven't got a lot to the practical reality, but I think that should form really how we engage with the political realm. We are advocates for Christ's kingdom, but we don't do so by the way of the sword. (laughs) Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, when he's asked in John 18, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, I am, but my kingdom is not of this world, because if it was, I would have formed an army. And guess what I have? I have these 12 disciples who really don't even follow me to my trial. And so, he's like, I'm not I'm not forming the type of kingdom that you expect. But at the same time, we have to recognize in Revelation that the kingdom of heaven does come down, the new Jerusalem, and it displaces Babylon. So there will be one day where he does come and he does conquer and he does replace the city of man with the city of God. But that's not our our call right now is not to do that. Our call is to witness, to proclaim his kingdom and to persuade people of that kingdom. So, I like to call it a little phrase of a politic of persuasion. We don't have a politic of dominion. We have a politic of persuasion, where we say, this is a better way, and we convince people of that.
0: Amen. Amen. That's Patrick Schreiner. You can find him at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, mbts.edu. You can also find him at the Gospel Coalition. The book that we're talking about today, political gospel. You can, yeah, find it everywhere that uh, you get your books. Patrick, as always, thank you so much for joining us. What a delight.
1: Thanks for talking to you, Carmen. It's been fun.
0: Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio.
2: I'm smelling coffee. Birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy.
0: All right, streaming in with the morning light. That sounds like advocacy for downloading the Faith Radio app, right? How is it streaming in to your life today? I invite you to download the Faith Radio app if you have not done so already. It means you'll have easy access not only to this program as it airs live, but you can um, then go back and listen really easily to it as a podcast. It's a super easy way to share the ministry with somebody else. If you want to be a you know, faith Radio missionary, having the app on your phone is a great way to do that because it means that you can share particular um, things that you hear here with others um, and and invite uh, invite them to be a part of the faith radio listening community as well. So download the Faith Radio app wherever you uh, get your apps and then go ahead and subscribe to Mornings with Carmen. If you missed it, I was a guest yesterday. On Afternoons with Bill Arnold, during the 5 o'clock hour, we talked about everything Jesus had to say in chapter 18 of John's Gospel. So it's in the Red Letter series that Bill is doing on Wednesday afternoons, and I was his guest yesterday. So go and grab that at MyFaithRadio.com or, yep, on the Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.